Hello, and welcome to Walking with the Tengu. This is a podcast exploring classic texts for the modern martial artist. Today we are looking exclusively at the 51st chapter of the Budo Shoshinshu. Usually, when working on these episodes, I read the modern Japanese in my own clumsy way, then I read William Scott Wilson's translation to make sure I've understood it broadly, and if there's anything I find confusing or that I want to dig into deeper, I'll do a formal translation of that section, usually just a few sentences. This chapter was different. It directly talks about training the martial arts, and I found each section of this chapter to be uniquely still relevant to us today. Martial artists in a warrior class centuries ago thought about and experienced the same problems we do today, even when in vastly different cultures with very different experiences and relationships with violence. As always, let me remind you that this podcast is kind of like my training notes. These are things I'm thinking about and pondering. As such, the readings and interpretations are heavily biased by my own philosophy and worldview. I highly recommend you read these works for yourself. If you would like to download a PDF of this chapter translation, you can receive a link to download it with an additional more literal translation as well as Japanese vocabulary when you sign up for new episode notifications. You can do this by going to the website walkingtengu.wix.com slash tengu and then scrolling to the bottom to enter your email. If you're already signed up, you should have already received an email with a link to download it. To translate a work is to, in some sense, reduce it. Languages don't work the same, and a thought that is clear in one language can be sometimes murky or inexpressible fully in another language. Thus, it is the burden of the translator to also perform a certain amount of interpretation. This means placing your own bias and mindset on a work. The reader then must accept that what they read will be a fuzzy look at the original author's intent through the eyes of another person. To that end, please allow me to provide some context as to why I made certain choices in this translation of this chapter. I had to make some choices with words. Some have multiple meanings, and in the context of Daidoji's time, had a much wider meaning than today. One such word is heiho. It could be translated as military arts, methods of war, strategy, tactics, or martial arts, among others. David Hall, in his excellent encyclopedia of Japanese martial arts, makes the point that it can be used for strategy, tactics, espionage, astrology, battlefield divination, and so on, all the way over to methods of bugling with a conch shell, known as horagai. Topin Threadgill's book on Shindo Yoshinryu lists it as methods of war, principles of strategy, Heiho is synonymous with buge, military arts. In his translation of the Budo Shoshinshu, William Scott Wilson translates it as martial arts in many places, though there are other times where he emphasizes one of the other meanings. 
My translation of this one chapter is meant for martial artists. So I've elected to translate the term as martial arts. This is a reduction of the original meaning for the purposes of translating this work for a specific audience. I have taken some liberties in an attempt to communicate the spirit of the passage rather than simply doing a dry technical word-for-word -word translation. If you decide to download the PDF I've put together, then I'll include a rougher, more literal translation with vocabulary in the document as well. You'll need to at least be able to read hiragana to be able to work with that. I've also relied heavily on the translation to modern Japanese by Daidoji Hiroyoshi. While I consulted the classical Japanese version at times in the interlinear text I was working with, my translation is of the modern Japanese version of the text. With this in mind, let's study this chapter. They are my rendition of the thoughts and musings of a man who lived closer to violence than many martial artists. While self-discovery is an important part of this process, the lessons of the past can provide us insight into the lessons we are learning for ourselves today. Daidoji's work, especially this late in the text, is succinct and to the point. He gets right into it, and we're going to do the same today. Unlike prior episodes of this show, where I might only quote a small portion of the text and then talk broadly of the general principles, since the translation I'm working with today is my own and I don't have to care about copyright issues, I'm just going to read the entire chapter in full, talking about each section as I read it. The first section goes like this. If you wish to be a warrior, even if you are not someone who would typically be thought of as a warrior, select an appropriate teacher to instruct you in the martial arts. You must come to a deep understanding of both your martial art and all things related to martial strategy. Some people might say, it's silly for that person to study the martial arts. This is a big misunderstanding. This is because, since ancient times, there are people who have been regarded as guardians of the provinces, who, despite being low-born or poor or from lonely circumstances, have still accomplished great things. Therefore, even now, there can be people who don't seem like great warriors, who can achieve greatness and become legends. This is why, even if you are the kind of person who is not typically thought of as a warrior, you should still learn the knowledge and virtue of the martial arts. Now, in the original text, this is all placed in the context of the class system, of being lower or higher in the warrior class. That's all well and good, but that's not how we experience it today. Today, we still have warriors. These might be soldiers or law enforcement, professional warriors or guardians. I would also include other first responders here, medics, firefighters, and others who work directly with keeping our lives safe and respond when someone needs help. In Daidoji's day, it may have been easy to think that if you were from a low-status family, that you weren't as important as the famous generals from legendary families. I chose to place the context of the translation, then, outside of the class system. I've met people who have told me that I don't look like a martial artist. And honestly, I'm not sure what they were expecting, but obviously I wasn't it. You might be someone who feels that way about yourself. 
Maybe you're not in great physical shape or don't fit the Hollywood visual ideal of an action hero. Daidoji is saying that's okay. It doesn't matter if you come from a long line of samurai warriors or look like a badass. You don't need to fit any of the stereotypes to be a warrior, or as I prefer, a guardian. Sometime, look up the story of Susan Kuhnhausen. You can just put hitman nurse into just about any search engine, and this story from 2006 will come up. This woman doesn't look like someone who could go up against a hitman. Not only did she, but she survived and the hitman didn't. The point is, you don't have to fit any stereotypical idea you may have of someone who fights. Likewise, you don't have to, air quotes, be in shape to start training in the martial arts. Every time I hear someone say they need to get in shape before training, it makes me think, are you going to get flexible before doing yoga? Are you going to get perfect balance before doing ballet? Are you going to have perfect musical pitch before learning an instrument? Or are you going to be well-rested before trying to sleep? Of course not. You do those things to achieve those goals. The very act of doing the martial arts can help you get in better shape. To wait until you are in shape to start training the martial arts is to put the cart before the horse, and honestly is probably just an excuse to not face your fears. It can feel compromising to start something new, and to be bad at it, especially with something as primal as a skill we perceive is being related to, quote-unquote, fighting. It touches us on a deeply instinctual level, especially when it relates to survival. Not being able to do something makes us feel weak. The irony is that the only way to address this, this concern is to face it head-on and go get the training needed so that you're better equipped to handle whatever it is you fear. Afraid of the water? Learn to swim. Afraid of cooking? Take a class. Afraid of public speaking? Well, there are classes for that, too. Daidoji's example, while not expressly stated, may be an oblique reference to Toyotomi Hideyoshi, who was a peasant who rose to be the de facto leader of Japan after Odo Nobunaga and preceding Tokugawa Ieyasu. Daidoji is basically saying, if he can do it, so can you. So, don't let your preconceived notions about the martial arts, or the kind of person who trains the martial arts, be a stumbling block to starting and continuing your own training. Moving on to the next section. So, if you like to study the martial arts, you will open up both wisdom and talent. People who are already wise will become wiser, even if you were born a little dumb. If you study the martial arts for many years, it will become a standard to not say stupid things. Therefore, when it comes to studying to be a warrior, nothing is more useful than the martial arts. Ouch, Daidoji, that's a bit harsh. Well, maybe for our day and age, but I think there's honesty to be found here. Despite narratives to the otherwise, we are not all equal in skill and ability. Some things can be improved through practice and effort, and some cannot. But in this case, I think Daidoji is saying martial training will make you better no matter where you are at. If you're good at it, and even if you're not naturally good at the martial arts, you'll still improve in a way that reduces your misunderstandings and mistakes. He's continuing his argument that no matter whether you think you fit the stereotype of a warrior, training the martial arts is still worth your time. All right, continuing on. 
However, when you fail to train the martial arts properly, or learn it by mistake, you will be overly proud of your own ability, look down on others, and say useless things, misleading and spoiling the minds of beginners who have not yet mastered the martial arts. While what they say seems right at first, inside their heart is greed, only thinking about their own interests. Eventually, this person becomes even worse, losing any character they may have once had as a warrior. This is the mistake of training the martial arts in an incomplete way. We live in a time where there is lots of access to martial arts information. Not all that information is good. There are projects like McDojo Life that highlight people whose claims and skills don't match up. And people like Xu Xiaodong in China who are willing to let people who make these claims try their skills in a non-cooperative situation. Some may not like the way they go about debunking these supposed masters. However, at the end of the day, liars and cheats have made a lot of money and acquired a lot of followers with their snake oil. This tarnishes our community. I've mentioned it before, but there are caricatures of the martial arts in numerous movies and TV shows. I like to reference the Rex Kwando martial arts teacher in Napoleon Dynamite, yelling at the class, bow to your sensei, as an early example, though the YouTube channel of the satirical Master Ken and Ameridote is a more recent one. These things are funny because we know them to be rooted in truth, and I would argue is exactly what Daidoji Yuzon was writing about centuries ago. Overly proud so-called masters who lead beginners astray while only thinking about their own pride and greed. Even if they had some amount of martial skill at some point, they lose any right to be considered warriors in the honorable sense by their misuse of the martial arts. It's a danger we should all guard ourselves and our schools from. These are examples of how, even with widespread access to information, people still can fall astray in their own training and in how they teach others. We need other people to keep us honest, not people who blindly follow whatever we say. Moving on to the last section of this chapter. Regardless, if you want to learn the martial arts, don't do it halfway. At least once, come to the limit of the secrets of the martial art you train. In the end, returning to your original foolishness. With this, training to live a peaceful life is of essential importance. Having said all that, myself included, when you spend every day studying the martial arts only in part, never reaching mastery of an art, you become lost while only partway down the path. This applies not only to yourself, but it is outrageous to teach others only in fragments. In the end, this foolishness can't be helped. To go back to foolishness from here, is to return to the time of not having learned the martial arts at all. To sum all this up, then, it is an old saying that as miso that stinks too much of miso, so too is a martial artist who reeks of the martial arts. All right, so this last section is a little scattered in my opinion, but it has some important points. First is the point to not train your martial art part way. If you train any martial art for more than a short period of time, You'll soon become familiar with those people who drift in and out, eventually disappearing. 
This is no discredit to them. I get it. There are a lot of other pressures in your life. Work and family being the two that most impact my own. Not many of us can be full-time martial artists. So the vast majority of us are hobbyists. It's something we do because we love it, not because we have to do it. Even still, there are those among us who get all fired up to train, but after the excitement wears off, they disappear. Sometimes until that fire is reignited, and sometimes never to be seen again. I think Daidoji is suggesting here that if you have an art that you love to train, stick to it, through the good and bad, through the hard and the harder, when it's interesting and when it's boring. Become skilled in at least one martial art. Doing a lot of martial arts, only a little, or as Daidoji puts it halfway, is foolishness. And how we become lost on that pathway of training, putting ourselves at risk of becoming one of those people who leads beginners astray. Even if we have some small skill, we lose the right to call ourselves warriors, guardians, or martial artists because of our own self-inflicted blindness and then thinking we can guide others. All right, so the, the last bit here is actually pretty funny. This is the section where Daidoji relates what he calls an old saying about how miso that stinks too much of miso is just like a martial artist who reeks of the martial arts. I have to admit, I've met a few of these. That same person that comes in all fired up, perhaps too much so, who, after the trial class, comes back with a new wardrobe of just martial arts gear and a fresh tattoo of your style. I've met more than one of these, and they tend to be the quickest to burn out. This isn't to say enthusiasm is bad. If you're excited about your martial art, that's good. Remember those high points so you can get through the low points when you're not excited about training. But as Daidoji says, there can be too much of a good thing, and at that point, it starts to reek. I would think of this more as a warning against letting your martial art take up too much of your identity. We need to be well-rounded individuals with more going on in our lives than just our martial art. It certainly can be a big part. You might even be one of those people, like me, who tries to live their martial art in all areas of life. But if you become one of those people who cannot have a normal conversation with non-martial people without constantly bringing up your martial art, you might be letting your style or art have too much influence over your life. I see jokes on the internet from time to time about people who get a bit too obsessed about something in their life, make it a the main pillar of their identity, and then make sure everyone else knows about it. One goes something like, an atheist, vegan, and a crossfitter walks into a bar. I only know because they won't stop talking about it. <laughs> this is what we're in danger of becoming if we let our martial arts dominate our personality. We become, as Daidoji puts it, like miso that stinks too much of miso. The last line of each chapter in the Budo Shoshinshu is the same. I render it as, Keeping in mind the original intent of being a warrior, consider these things. And really, that's what I intend for each of these episodes. Spend some time thinking about what we've talked about today. As always, feel free to reach out to me through social media or email with any thoughts, insights, or questions you might have. Once again, the key points of this chapter were you don't have to look 
like the stereotype of a warrior guardian or martial artist, to do a martial art or be a warrior guardian. There is value in training the martial arts for everyone, whether it comes naturally to you or not. People who train only part way run the risk of falling astray and leading others astray in their ignorance. Commit yourself to your training, keeping with it even when you're not excited about training. And finally, don't let your martial art consume your life. Have a personality outside of your training. Spend some time thinking on this. And remember to not just talk about your philosophy, but like your martial art, live it. That's all for today. Please help the podcast out by sharing and telling people about it. The best way you can help us is just by letting people know that it's out there and what it's got you thinking about. Thank you for listening and talk to you again soon.